Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Goosen, and once again, I'm joined by Nicholas Blank. Hello. <laughs> and that's about as much as you can muster today. <laughs> I was say, it is, it's early morning, right? So, so that's where you go. You got to wait for the coffee to drip through first before you can uh, sort of say some more words. But uh, I'm really, really excited about our, our guest today. And I think I'm going to let Nick introduce him because uh, these two seem to go way back. And I think we're in for a really, really fun conversation today. Yeah, I'd like to remember that our podcast is about cloud technology and the people in it. And today we're going to talk to one of the people that does cloud things and solves problems using cloud, but not only the cloud. So um, Sachin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Uh, it's glad to be here. So I've known you, Sachin, for about... Uh, Gosh, I think it was about 15 years. And you and I got to know each other when we were both a very technical, very on the ground. And what today's show about, what this today, a second cup of coffee kicking in, and what today's show is about is basically to talk about how we've both progressed, but mostly more you than me. Otherwise, the show would be about me, which is great, but not necessarily the focus of today's show. And how did you move from what you did to what you are today? And today, you are a CISO for an organization. And I'd like to start off with, before we get into too much detail, tell us what is it that you do and what is a CISO and what does your day job look like? Gosh, um, Nick, it's, it's not easy. I can say that as a start. I basically, in a nutshell, oversee information security for the entire group uh, within this organization. So I'm in charge of protecting the organization, the customers, the data, the assets, and the environment. So that's, in a nutshell, what a CISO is and, and what we do. If I have to break that down into different aspects, it encompasses multiple things, uh, laws, regulations, Operations, cyber, cloud. Uh, sure, it's 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 quite 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 a vast world when it comes to security. People have a, a misconception that security is only a one sphere, one sided thing. But from a security perspective, it's it's so vast. When you get into this this environment, there's so many different parts to go down mm. with security, broken down into multiple aspects. I, I like that you point out that it's quite vast because. I, there is this view out there that, um, particularly in, in, in our business audience, that security is a tick box, right? And it's a it's an easy problem to solve. I'm going to throw money into this this thing called security, and then it's solved, right? It's done. I don't have to look at it again. <laughs> yes, that's that is a very big misconception. If you look at security, I mean, which part do you want to go down? What what makes you happy? What what sort of uh, keeps you up at night? Uh, where do you want to be? There's the testing side, you want to look at finding how people get in, um, sort of the hacking capabilities. There's the protection side where you are in the SOC looking for threats. There's the hunting capability, looking at what's happening in the world, how it's coming and affecting you, your sector. Then there's the governance, which a lot of people don't really like to get into. It's a bit more boring, but mm -hmm. it's the policies, procedures, those sort of things. And then you get into the leadership side where you speak to the board and uh, you have to speak to business and ensure that 
they're on the same page with exactly what's happening. And you can't throw money at, at any of these things. If you don't know what you're doing in the security space, you're really not going to get anywhere. So that's 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 an interesting. My my follow up question was going to be when do you sleep? Mm. <laughs> um, but <laughs> let's just pretend that there's time for for things like sleep uh, in your in your day to day. That's an interesting point that you make there is uh, about if you don't know what you're doing, you know it can be it can be overwhelming, right? But yes. at the same time, I think there's a there's, there's a couple of things to sort of unpack here. The first thing is sort of based on that point really is very much around um, we've seen the industry over the last insert, you know, uh, let's say 10 years, five years, sort of move away from formal education and, and you know, university degrees for things. And, and a lot of organizations, Google being one of them, sort of are starting to promote this whole concept of you don't need a degree, you don't need a, you know, um, a heavy list of certifications in order to kind of get a, a foot in the door, you know, in the space. I've always kind of been of the opinion, you at least need to know a little bit about what you're doing, right? To be to be handling some of the stuff. Some of the stuff is really high, like high risk when you when you're actually working in the space. If you get it wrong, the consequences can be pretty pretty dire. Um, but I also agree that you don't necessarily have to go out and get a four year university degree to be able to learn. You know, some people learn differently. Some people learn with the hands on experience and training and, and things like that. I mean, what are you seeing and, and sort of what sort of things? Um, you know, in your organization, are you considering when you when you hire folks um, to to join the team? Good question. Uh, firstly, I don't have a university degree. Um, I, I didn't feel that and I don't feel that that is necessary for this space. Hmm. When I look for an individual to join my team, the first thing that I look for is aptitude and aptitude. Mm -hmm. You have to have a drive and you have to have a gift for this environment. You've got to understand and, and have that passion to want to do this because it is a very stressful environment. So you have to have the aptitude to be able to speak to business because you were always going to get pushback. In the security space, you try to do the best and protect the organization, but you get business that pushes back. And that's the, the one thing, the number one rule whenever you study anything security is do not be a hindrance to business. And that's difficult in, in many aspects. Business decides tomorrow they want to buy another company or they want to do something different or pull out another application or treat their customers differently. You've got to adapt to that and figure out how, from a security perspective, you secure that organization. So when I interview an individual, I look at what their thought process is and how they would think around it. And then again, for me, the technical is important. Um, you have to understand all aspects of security. Can't come and tell me tomorrow that business wants to suddenly go and put up a website that's going to now give customers new policies or uh, a new offering that they must suddenly, and you have to give them advice. When you give them advice, you have to think about every aspect that goes around that. How is that solution secure? And when, and that's a, that's a very vast uh, question as well. How is it built? How is it implemented? What's the, the, the back-end process behind it. How is it actually interfacing with the customer? How are you protecting the customer when they connect? There's multiple spheres for it. So the, the answers to it, I don't expect to be fully technical, but I expect you to understand exactly how security works, how the application works, how IT works in general. And this is from networking to uh, internet-facing, to internal, to customers, to endpoints. 
you've got to have a good overall knowledge to be able to do that. And that's the path that I took when I went down trying to become this the CISO or successful so far at it. <laughs> well, I hope so anyway. Yeah, I like that sort of um, aptitude and uh, attitude. I think that that sort of summarizes as well. Because I and I and I agree. I think there has to be some sort of base understanding of things, right? You can't um, be building apps that are consumed over the network if you don't have a basic understanding of networking, right? Because um, then you, you get into that sort of um, position where you know that sort of developer syndrome as they as they refer to it right where like everything's got root access just because it works right mm. and 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 really we're at this point now in in the world where we can't uh we have to have security by default we can't be building stuff first we almost needed the bleeping machine there uh <laughs> we, we have to be building stuff first we can't be building stuff first and then coming back to secure it later because um you know there's the, 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 it just it's not going to work um the, the other interesting thing that you sort of mentioned there that that I think is worth unpacking and and we talked about this Nick and I talked about this in in um, one of our recent episodes um, when we were talking about exchange and how the world is is adopting uh, it, it needs to adapt to you know um, the quicker uh, threat response right we, we need to be kind of reevaluating our security posture more frequently um, because the threats are changing and maturing a lot more quickly than you know ever before. Uh, how's that kind of, um, how do you tackle that problem, right? Of, well, we're secure right now, but are we going to be secure in three months time with exactly the same configuration? So what's the process of, of, of reevaluating and evaluating that whole, um, you, you know, where you are today versus where you potentially should be or could be, um, in, in a, in a few, uh, months time or weeks time or whatever. So that's, that's a good question. Um, if I have to think about it. The way we approach this and the way I keep ahead of the trends, we have a community that um, is, is actually good. From a security perspective, if you look at business, for instance, right, let's just take two banks or two insurance companies or financial institutions. They're obviously competing for customers and um, they're competing for business. But from a security perspective, it's the one sphere that you look at and the one environment you look at where everybody shares because if they do not share, then one industry goes down, it affects the economy, it eventually affects everyone. So we have a community of CISOs across different financial institutions that come together quite often. And I mean, we meet once a month, uh, sometimes sooner, depending on, on topics that's required. And we discuss with each other exactly what's happening. The other aspect of this is each of us are doing threat hunting. We look at the world, what's happening, how's the economy changing, what, uh, I mean, war in Ukraine, those sort of things. How is it now affecting cybercrime? How is it then affecting what's happening, the targeted environments? And then we share that information with each other. What are we seeing? And then we look at, I mean, technology is I mean, the last aspect of it. But we look at technology, what's changing, what's happening, uh, what are people seeing? And then we help each other so that we keep abreast and ahead of things. And without that, I think you'd be a little bit dead in the water when it comes to security. If you don't have that community to help you, and guide you, you will be stuck, and it'll be a, a trial and error basis, and and that's that's important when you're in the space. I, I really like that, right? Because there's there's strength in numbers, and and you don't have to kind of face these things, uh, you know, all by yourself, right? There's no competitive advantage gained by you know, work mm. uh, or, or lot, you know, by working together. So, um, yeah, really like that. Thank you. That's that's awesome. 
I also like that there's an approach of technology comes last where I think in the data center world, we used to be so firewall focused that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I had a firewall and I was secure, right? And uh, the if I had a breach, I could literally run into my server room and I could switch off that thing that was breached or I could rip the network cable out. And I think we, we all have been in situations where I can see that I've got a typhoid Mary in my data center somewhere and there's something spawning off that thing. So I run in there and I isolate the virtual machine or if it's a physical server, I literally unplug it from the rack and, and my attack is contained, right? And now that technology is not the only answer and that I don't have a single boundary to defend anymore, but I've got many boundaries. I've got clouds, I've got devices, I've got identities. I like that you are pointing out that technology is not the, the first thing that comes to mind when you think about how to secure something, but rather a, a methodology and what, what's working for everyone else in the same industry as, as, as I am in. Yes, uh, the, the one thing that I teach my entire staff, work on capability and not technology. So mm. technology changes all the time. And you get a lot of individuals that join the security team that get stuck in a specific technology. Mm. And they become focused on ensuring that that is the one and that's what it does. That changes all the time. And so technologies, I mean, they don't keep ahead of the, the, the curve a lot of times. So you've got to keep mm. changing. So as long as you've got a capability and you understand what your end goal is, you do the best to get to that end goal. And that's the, mm. the approach that you take. And given cloud now, you cannot go to the data center and unplug your machine. That's that's definitely yes. not, not possible, <laughs> especially if your data spread across three, four different data centers worldwide. How do you do that? And that's a concern and that's a different control that you have to have in place. It sounds like you you subscribe to Nick's uh, preached philosophy of uh, requirements first. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Definitely. And, Definitely. And boy, can I tell you stories about um, hunting down infected machines in data centers, looking at uh, you know looking at where the lights are flashing the fastest on the switch and unplugging those uplinks because mm. <laughs> those are the network segments that are infected by whatever worm. I think we've, we've, those of us who've been around long enough have all been in, in that situation, right? In, in, the, in the data center. So, and I know each other from our email days. So I was in charge yes. of uh, Exchange. Uh, and that's how I met, met Nick when he came to help me with a big problem. Uh, right. Which he's quite good at, I must say. I, I, I you know, I, I thought there was a reason why I liked you so much. Um, it must be that sort of uh, those exchange routes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, all of us who come from a messaging background, uh, and I don't want to make this a, a love ballad to exchange people, but you know, uh, take it, take it while it lasts. People who come from a messaging background are, are used to, and if we look at um, exchange and how it evolved when we still cared about exchange service on, on, on premises. In the beginning, we had to know a lot about storage and SANS, and then we moved over to load balances, and we had to know a lot about certificates. And then Active Directory, well, Active Directory was always a big thing because in, in Windows 2000 days, we cared about uh, schema extensions and that we had legal schema versus um, unpublished schema and that kind of thing. 
And I think that has prepared us for this multidisciplinary view that there are multiple disciplines, but also that there's phases and trends. Uh, a little while ago, we saw the beginning of ransomware that was a little bit more spray and pray, right? But then it became a very successful tactical model that could then be taken out and um, scaled upon. And what we're seeing today is human-operated ransomware where organizations target other organizations very much in a profit-driven manner. And the, the wave that we're following at the moment is one of uh, deep, deep uh, technological investment by the attackers going towards us versus you know, hopefully just um, sending a an email into the organization, hoping that somebody clicks on it. There's targeted phishing attacks that are, I think, if I remember correctly, between $500 to $1,000 for a successful uh, targeted phish to a, a senior person or the, the person of your choice. So mm. it's it's a very different landscape that we have today. For, from the firewall days where I put a firewall in place and it would defend me against, you know, the occasional port scan. Yeah, I hear you. And to be honest with you, the way I got into security is mm. through being in the, in the email environment. So even till today, email is the number one entry point for all compromises across the world. The second one is obviously websites that are compromised for each of the companies. Those are the two two concerns out there. And email still, I mean, it continues to be that entry point because mm. you are targeting basically the the individual and hoping that someone uh, does that. I mean, if you can walk, go onto the dark web today, you can literally buy a database of emails for a dollar to $10. All you do is write a script, send out an email to 100,000 people. If two of those 100,000 click on your, on your link, you've mm. got your success. You've made mm. more than ten dollars, so that's mm. that's why that is still the most prevalent and my most concern. So from the email days, looking after Exchange for an organization and seeing the entry points, you start learning more about security and it becomes more interesting. And you see how the attacks are taking place, how they are getting more sophisticated, and that's what got sparked interest in security and brought me to this point. Yeah, and I I, I dare say incidentally, probably the email. Well, those scam attacks are probably still the, the the vast majority of emails floating around the internet anyway, mm -hmm. right? Because like, mm -hmm. if you look at SMTP traffic globally, and then you filter out by how much of that is actually spam, you know, it's it's a staggering number of of nonsense that gets sent around, and those sort of you know uh, spray and pray type uh, scenarios. Mm -hmm. What's really funny is um, Troy Hunt actually posted a uh, a tweet yesterday with a screenshot of someone who had uh, sent him one of those fake ransomware uh, emails saying, you know, we've hacked, have I been pwned if you want your data back? <laughs> and his emoji was just, you know, the, the sort of face slap because obviously these guys are not even looking at what the website is or what the thing is that they, you know, they just, it's probably just a, a script that's putting that stuff together and firing off emails to whoever. Mm. It's, uh, it, you know, it's it's a bit annoying. But um, so given, I guess, this, this new... Um, this new world that we're in, right? I think Nick and I talk often about zero trust and, and sort of our ability to uh, treat everything as untrusted, right? But also with the pillars within zero trust, you know, what we see is is organizations don't, they're not always adopting um, 
zero trust across every one of those things uh, equally mm. or at, at equal mm. equal rate, right? So if you take, you know, for example, their their you know device security over their identities, for example, or, or the one I think that we often see shortfalls in is is um, data security. I think data security still has a long way to to come for some for some reason. Uh, a lot of organizations are yet to sort of really mature in that in that um, in that space. But um, I was gonna gonna sort of ask you about zero trust and you know what does zero trust mean to you and how do you if at all use zero mm. trust in your sort of day to day uh, dealings right and, and in your role. Zero trust is a very good uh, framework to follow. Um, I'm I'm actually going down that path at this point in time. So initially, I tried that with our traditional data center. Um, and try to figure out how to implement that. But with the, with the legacy environments and not knowing what system talks to what system and how it actually, you, you actually break the organization. And the amount of times that that approach has destroyed things has been phenomenal. Because you're trying to get to a point where, and I like the phrase, never trust, always verify. And that's what I like about zero trust. Um, and to explain this to business, you know, why is it that I need to verify every single time I make a connection. And to show them that the layered defense that we've done, I mean, I, I've always done a layered uh, defense when it comes to security. Uh, it's so that if one control fails, multiple other controls can catch. And that's the approach that I've taken within my organization. Mm. Now with us and the digital strategy moving to cloud, I've got the opportunity now to implement zero trust from the base. And that's the approach that I've taken at, the, at this point in time. As we move to cloud, everything is denied and only allowed as it's required. And the approach is working quite well because now you must understand, and what I've been trying to tell businesses, before you had your data on a server in your data center and you could walk downstairs and you could take it out. Now with cloud, what you must understand is your data sits on a server somewhere in another country shared with multiple other organizations. How are you going to secure that? And Tell me how you expect that the other customer's data and, and connections are not going into yours. So from a zero trust perspective, I explained this is how it, we have to do this going forward so that you have access to your data and only have access to your data. And every time you access your data, you verify yourself. And so that's the approach that we've taken. Um, from an organization perspective, we've gone with multiple cloud disciplines. And that's even more cumbersome in that because now securing multiple clouds and different types of platforms is, is difficult. And trying to put security controls at a cost is, is expensive. And if you go with the late defense, it's going to be very expensive. So you've got to balance, and that's why as a CISO sometimes it's a bit difficult. You have to balance finances against regulations, where you can store your data, how you can store your data, how you can use your data. Now with work from anywhere and everybody working from anywhere in the world, I mean, and you want to use their phones, their tablets, it becomes difficult in securing that. What the traditional approach of uh, is protect your perimeter doesn't work anymore. There is no perimeter anymore. If you look at how organizations operate at this point in time, I've changed my entire strategy. I do not go and protect endpoints and servers anymore. I protect the data. And that's the approach I've taken. If I can find a way to protect my data, it makes it easier for me to then work from the endpoint through to the data. And it, it closes the gap on the, the area that I need to focus on the most. And so that's the approach that I've taken. I hope that makes a little bit more sense for you. 
Yeah, absolutely, it does. Um, you know, and I think it's good to have those sort of guiding principles, if you will, right, and 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 kind of work with them. I think the 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 way Microsoft kind of at least this year refers to things is that sort of north star, right, where you have this guiding principle that is what you're working towards, and and um and and using that to to come in place. I think that's great. Um, yeah, like I said, I think the data security thing is something that is is very interesting to me. And we've had some great guests on here as well talking about data security and and um, you know how you should approach those types of projects. I think where where we are in the world today, you know, any organization that doesn't hasn't already sort of started that uh, a journey to securing their data in a, you know, uh, a little bit better is, is, um, is a little bit behind and really should be jumping on that too. Chris, I wanted to make a point because you said, uh, or you mentioned that uh, organizations don't necessarily secure their data. And that's because securing data is, is, is a hard problem actually. Mm. And it means that you actually understand your data and understand mm -hmm. what you are securing. And then very quickly, we get into things like information taxonomy, labeling and classifying what that data does, and then protecting it by classification. And that's not easy, particularly in a regulated industry where we, we work with uh, broad assumptions, for example, that everything on the other side of, of that application contains PII, and so therefore has to be regulated and, and protected. That's, that's the easy bit, right? But then if you look at something like email, where we work with uh, government organizations and we've got different classes of mail. You know, we've got the mail about the, the, the cafeteria menu and lunch today. We don't care about that. But then you've got things that are literally classified according to some kind of a, a classification, if it's secret or top secret, or um, if it's uh, confidential in, in terms of uh, how I would see this as a, a company, not as a government. How do I treat that email differently? And what is my plan around that? And in talking to, to companies, I find, number one, the business thinks that security is an IT problem and it's not mm -hmm. a business problem to solve and it's not aligned to the goals of a business, right? So if, if I look at a, a life insurer or a bank, you think that's, that's pretty obvious because I want to protect the data about the people that I have, right? But what does it mean when you align it to the, the vision and the mission and the goals of a business? And it's difficult to find decision makers or C-level executives that look at business and security in a lens that's complementary. And mm. it's very much like when we look at uh, a change management in an organization and we adopt Office 365 for the very first time, where do we start? We start with executives. So the executives see the benefit of this new platform, the new capabilities that are coming along that are then driving the business outcomes that we want that are linked to productivity, being able to work anywhere, anytime on any device, but in a secure way. But what does that mean, right? So I, I want to, to have my cake and, and I want to eat it, but without a um, an attitude from a C-level executive, and this doesn't matter if it's the, the COO, the CEO, the CFO, or the, even the, the, the chief marketing officer, all of them need to be bought mm. into the fact that security starts with everyone, mm. or we don't have successful security adoption within an enterprise. And that's part of the reason why it's hard. Mm -hmm. And we 
don't see that we have the executive leadership bought into, we want to solve security as a discipline that is business aligned all up. At, mm. at least that's that's my view on why this is partly a difficult problem to solve. No, you're, you're, you're 100% spot on. And, and I mean, you've mentioned many reasons there why a lot of, if not probably most, sort of data protection policies, uh, data protection um, programs fail, right? Is mm. because either the technology gets implemented but never used because mm. there's no buy-in from the business, the the users themselves have not been brought along this journey and and or they don't understand what any of the stuff is for. So mm. I, how does this how does this change my day-to-day? -day? Well, if I don't understand it, why would I do anything different to what I did yesterday, right? And I think that's why it's so important to have um, a, a, a big change management process when you're working mm. through data security and because a lot of the, the the classifications for example within within um you know how you do this within your business and what you classify data as just mm. to get that done is can be a, a very large process right because you, you know you need buying from everyone to to agree that the lunch menu is is a, a, a you know classified as a public document but the secret source recipe is, you know, is top secret and shouldn't be emailed around or or what have you, right? Should be encrypted mm -hmm. when what and and you need buy-in from that. And so I've always kind of, I've always kind of felt like there has to be enough stakeholders from everyone. And certainly the the projects that I've been involved in that have been successful, that's been the case mm -hmm. where you have an executive sponsor who is actually having their feet held to the fire for, for being involved in this and can and can agree that, you know, um, that can, can try and get excited about what this is, right? Because it can be boring stuff as well. What we're seeing now, like over here in Australia, is we're seeing some interesting developments in this, right? Because we've had some really, really big public breaches uh, mm -hmm. over the last uh, couple of months. Um, and these things are costing businesses a lot of money right not just reputational damage but you know in the case of, of optus it looks like they're going to be held responsible for actually paying for the replacement id documents for everyone that was affected right the government's gone you know people are going to need to get new passports and new driver's licenses well optus are going to have to pay that bill i mean we're talking hundreds of millions right um wow We've got the fallout right now happening today, yesterday happening from the uh, the Medi, uh, Medibank private uh, breach where uh, their data got, you know, there's like 9 million people's health data got got, uh, got taken and held to ransom and they refused to pay the ransom. And so as of yesterday, they've started releasing the, you know, the bad actors have started releasing this data. So we're seeing this happen over and over again. Um, they're now starting to propose, you know, stronger penalties on businesses when this happens, right? So it is going to start becoming a problem. Now, is that the right way to handle this 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 uh, this problem? I think you could argue probably not. Like, why, if someone is a, you know, why hold a business accountable for something like this? But at the same time, if you look at it from the other the other side of the coin, like if businesses start to understand just how much value they hold within you know the personal information that they store and what potentially could happen to them if they if the stuff gets breached mm. perhaps we'll see some more sea uh, level execs get it, get you know take an interest in in security here and start um 
actually starting to 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 get involved and and be part of this whole process because ultimately you're right it can't be successful if it's only a technology thing you can implement all the technology in the world if it isn't used or adopted right mm. it's not going to go anywhere mm. Mm. Uh, i'd like to to add a point onto that zero trust works and it works because if you follow that as a process, it works, right? It's not a magic mm. bullet. It's not a, a set of technologies. It's a set of disciplines that you follow. And it's like like with anything, you know, people buy weight loss methodologies because it's a methodology that follows that can have a predictable result. And Zero Trust as a security framework or um, ideally the, the set of principles that it represents allows an organization to assume breach, which is one of them, and of course, with assume breach, there's also that thing of, well, I can recover quickly because if I'm assuming breach, I'm planning for breach. And so therefore, I know how to recover quicker. And I don't think that breaches going to press necessarily are the, the, the career ending or the business ending events that they used to be because so many people have been breached. You know, it's, it's, there's news of breaches every day. It's how do companies respond to breaches now that mm -hmm. is actually more of a, a reputational gainer or yeah. loser. And if we embrace the fact that, you know, breach is coming and I'm being prepared for it, I'd rather be judged by how I respond to breach as opposed to the fact that I've had one. Mm. Uh, that's a great point. And let's, I mean, let's use examples, right? Um, the Okta breach from earlier this year, yeah. uh, you know, it was, you know, deny, 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 deny until there was just an equivocal proof that there was a breach. And then all of a sudden, oh, actually, yes, we did have a breach. That mm. turned a lot of customers sour, right? I, I've spoken to a few organizations now who, based on the way the breach was handled and not necessarily the breach itself, they decided that perhaps, you know, there wasn't the service for them anymore and, and they mm. were looking at alternatives, right? Now, uh, that, that's a great example because I think when you can be transparent with your customers because uh, of of the stuff, that's a way to to continue to show that sort of loyalty towards you know the, your customers and the data and, and all of that mm. type of stuff. People are starting to understand. I think you know Joe Public is starting to understand a little bit more now about um, a bre breach of data and what these things are, and that it's not you know some dude a person in a hoodie in a dark room with you know. <laughs> no lights and and you know a red bull addiction that's doing this stuff like there's 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 actually like it, it happens and it, it you know organizations need to step it up but i think the the general public is starting to understand a little bit about it mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. unfortunate though when you look at you know uh, i was watching a piece of uh news earlier uh before we came on uh the minister of cyber was talking about you know talking specifically to 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 women um in Australia, because obviously, you know, of women and their, the, their, uh, what do you call it? Their health data is, is a lot more sensitive potentially, you know, in many instances than it could be for, for men. And, you know, and, and she is female herself and said, you know, as a, I, I'm speaking to you, not only as the, the minister of cyber, but I'm speaking to you as a woman, right? Like this should mm -hmm. never have happened. Mm -hmm. um, it's becoming a thing. And, and, you know, I think you're right. Organizations need to kind of plan for it and be able to respond to it um, more quickly and more transparently, I think, than is happening now. Sachin, let's ask you, how do you feel about the, um, the concept of breach 
and how you choose to recover from breach and, and what others are doing in that same vein and how do you see them and judge them? It's a difficult one, Chris uh, and, and Nick, because I've been through this. Uh, our company did have a breach. It was public. Uh, the way we handled it was our CEOs decided to go public and inform the customers. We're actually on national TV um, to inform all our, all our customers that this is what had happened and what had transpired. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, uh, the actors that got in, we were able to expel them in time and we managed to ensure that none of the customer data was lost. But it was actually quite significant for us and, and life-changing for this organization. We lost quite a huge share price uh, in the first week, but given the public disclosure, um, we recovered that quite quickly. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a very difficult time. I, I, I really do not um, envy anyone that goes through that. It's very stressful. Um, it was painful to deal with regulations, laws, um, and the like. And the forensics and the investigations that go along with it is, is quite life-changing. But also very good from an experience perspective. Because since then, every quarter, I mean, I put the entire team through cyber incidents uh, response to ensure that we catch this in time. And touch wood, thank God, so today uh, we've been uh, in a good space, even through COVID and working from home, we've, we've managed to keep the company secure. Um, I see a lot of organizations hide the fact that they've had a breach or, or something of the sort, which is now, according to our regulation, it has to be disclosed to at least the public, um, the Prudential Authority, which is our regulator. But mm -hmm. I think hiding it is is not the, not the way. Um, be open and honest. Uh, that's what we did. And you know what? You learn from it. And, and you can teach others exactly what has happened in your space. And we can all learn from each other. Hmm. It goes back to that communal learning thing, doesn't it? Sorry, Chris. Yeah. No, sorry. I think they've, uh, I think in the US as well now, they've, they've really tightened up on the reporting requirements for, for breaches. I think they, you know, they really give you very little time now to, hmm. by law, to report a, a breach. And I think that's, again, it's a, it's a move forward, right? Whether folks are going to, honor that or not is, is a different story, I guess. But, um, you know, it's a, it's an important thing. And it's, it's very topical for us, uh, especially here in Australia at the moment, because it, there's a lot of that happening. So. Oh, we're having a lot as well. Uh, there's uh, third party breaches is the biggest issue that we in South Africa are suffering at the moment, because each company uh, connects with so many other little companies, that third party breach is becoming a, a cost for us. Now. Because you deal with a third party that does work for you. They have certain PII of yours. And the problem that comes in is if they are breached, they lose company information. Then it costs us to then report this, inform our customers, go down that path, and ensuring that we do our due diligence to inform the right people that mm -hmm. this is what is done. And then doing an assessment on the third party that you have with to ensure that they have the right security controls. Now, how do I hold a small organization accountable to have that many security controls that could possibly bankrupt them. You know, it's an age-old question. How do we go down this path of ensuring third-party mm. security is covered? Mm. I've got some companies that have 20 people, but the amount of security controls that is asked for mm. is more than the profit they make. Does that make sense for them to go down that path? And then how do you force them to go down it? Do you do business with them going forward? Or do you then penalize small businesses for not having the amount of security? Mm. So it's, 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 it's very difficult. Um, I mean, your, your question around data protection, that is an 
that's huge. The, the amount of work that goes behind data protection mm. is a whole team on its own. And I mean, a team is not security. It's business and every single business unit, every single country, every all together needs mm. to come to the party to data protection. If you start unpacking that, I mean, nobody till today can tell me. I've spoken to multiple organizations. Tell me who's got a successful data leaks protection program. My gosh, try and implement the rules on that and see how you will break business. How many people need to send ID numbers? I mean, do you send 10? Do you send 50? Are there going to be five people in the company, 100 people? Who's those people? Then who signs off on those people being able to do that? And then sending information is what? Through email? Is it through a USB? Are you allowed to lock a USB? It, it's crazy. Then it's endpoint encryption, server encryption, it's data at rest, in use and in transit. You, you must understand the, the, the problem is huge. And to cover data protection is massive. And regulations is getting very tight around this. So the controls you need to have in place. I mean, if I go home and I print a document and that document is lost, who knows about it? How is it tracked? And what do we do about it? Is that considered a loss of data? Yes, it is. And that's wow. that's what the regulation says. So now, do I stop people from printing at home? Do I stop people from printing at work? Do we print anymore? Do, what, what do we do? Mm. The amount of decisions that have to be made, and this includes risk, audit, board, executives, that all have yeah. to sign off on these things. And everyone then holds accountability for it. It's crazy. Uh, this, this, this road is never ending. And yeah. no matter how many organizations I speak to, you'll never get this 100% correct. You can do your best uh, and try and protect as much as you can, but I don't see mm. this problem going away anytime soon. And that's why it's this, it's very much a like a journey of maturity, right? Rather than like an mm. on-off switch that is like, we have no data protection, click, oh, well, now we have data protection. It's not like that. It's, it's going to be this journey where you're always going to be iterating and you're always going to be on this journey, on this path to somewhere. Uh, a nirvana that you may never reach, but at least mm. you know if you if you're on it for a little while, you're better than you you know than than you were before you started. Um, it's a it's a funny thing, and you know I think you said this earlier on, right? Uh, security's role is to enable the business, um, not to be no man and just stand there with your arms shut. And I'm sure there are still folks that that do that that just say no to stuff. Um, but really, I mean, it's it's about enabling the business uh, and helping them achieve the, the business results and business goals as uh, you know as absolutely secure secure as possible. Um, I had this this was the funniest thing. One of the funniest things I've, I've ever seen was my um, my partner's uh, um, laptop work laptop was locked down by her employer. This was years ago, but but basically they took the decision that uh, Wi-Fi was was a risk and they basically <laughs> disabled the Wi-Fi adapter in the BIOS and so and put a BIOS password on it and you couldn't roam around the office you couldn't bring it bring it home and be on Wi-Fi it was just that's it no Wi-Fi if you wanted to go somewhere and you wanted your desk you had to go to a and so they had like cat five cat six cables in the meeting rooms people were plugging their laptops in because Ethernet was secure and Wi-Fi was not now <laughs> not sure that's wow. the right way to go but you know this is probably 10 years ago as well but still even 10 years ago wi-fi was it was a thing right so um yeah. pretty funny um, uh, so i have a follow-up question on that one Sachin, you've told us about the kind of problems that you have solved in the past what is the kind of yeah. thing that is next for you what is your your roadmap and what are the concepts that you're wrestling with that you need to solve for in future so the, the one issue that I have that's, that keeps me up at night, 
I'm going to go back to email because that's one of my biggest issues and the one that I keep close because it's where we started, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I've got every protection you can think of on email. Impersonation protect. I mean, they've done it for all the executives and everybody, right? The whole entire organization. I'm on the part now with DMARC and DCOM just to ensure that that's, that's correct. You know we've done the TLS encryption between every organization, right? That's, that's age-old now, right? If you haven't done it by now, then there's something wrong with you. Um, doing URL protect, protecting every single link in that organization that gets scanned. I'm even down to now sandboxing every single attachment, and that's where my biggest issue is. Now that we're encrypting attachments, how do I scan those? And you know the bad actors are also doing the same. They're encrypting their malware in your little code or macros, and they're sending it mm-hmm. through. So Ten layers deep, so you can't get through it because... A lot of a lot of scanners are going to stop un, unpacking it at, at you know ten layers. So they they now embedded into ten different layers of zip file or archive, and and they're hoping to get through. Absolutely, exactly. So that is my biggest concern at this time. So I've been trying to work with a lot of vendors to try and see if they can help with this. But we started with some of the trusted organizations. So between a financial institution, we're trying to figure out how between us we can get mm-hmm. this at least. We can trust each other to a certain degree. Mm. I don't trust mm. anyone. That's that's. Mm. I, I can't go down the path of trusting anyone. That's. Yes. It's just me. Mm. We've got to keep this organization secure. My job is on the line if something comes through. But mm. we, we're getting, gaining a little bit more trust and we're being a little bit more diligent around it. But I've got a team of people that actually go through and release emails that are blocked. And mm. I had to put this in place because it keeps me up at night. So that's the one. The mm. other is now that I'm going to cloud. I actually did a map of all the security controls in our data center on premise. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, now let me do a map of all the controls I need in cloud. Gosh, did that explode? It wasn't, wasn't even a page, it was multiple pages of controls and need to put in place. And what is the board expecting me to do is they're moving cloud. You know, they they're going, they've already created their tenant and they're busy. I'm expected to do 10 years worth of work that I've done on premise in the cloud within six months while they're going there so while the plane is flying i must not fix and go along so that is where the concern is and i've had to reel back a lot of things not the most popular person at this point within the organization but we've had to reel back a few things and Hmm. and redo those are the the the, the, that's a few things that's that bothers me chris with your your concern around wi-fi being blocked and Oh, that's that's not a move I would have done. The business would have shot me. I wouldn't be working here anymore. I took a different approach uh, when it came to Wi-Fi uh, within our organization. Whether you're the CEO or someone that's in the canteen working and serving food or a customer that walks into this organization, you're allowed to connect to the Wi-Fi in the organization. I just tunnel that as a separate network out to the internet. Mm. Nothing to the systems or the data center at all. So it doesn't matter what mobile device you have, and then we posture that properly. So if you have a uh, organization endpoint that has all of these controls, EDR, antivirus, and the, the likes, and patching, and whatever, and it meets those controls, then we put you into a separate network that's allowed in. Other than that, your phone, because I don't trust any phone, uh, whether it's huh. Android or Apple. Uh, okay, Apple better, but I mean, uh, I, I, I <laughs> be biased. But anyway, uh, you, are, you you get your Wi-Fi access out. And yes, mm-hmm. you go. 
I make the people go through the building, out to the internet, and actually the work from home stuff made it pretty, made us change our view on things. I started publishing all our applications purely and testing it to the internet so that you can get it from anywhere in the world, from any device and anywhere. And those that I couldn't publish, I use a virtual desktop and get the guys to come in through a pane of glass into the organization to do what they need to. And you can use your little tablet and you don't need the processing power because the EDI has it mm. and you can do your work. And I had to change strategy on exactly how we do work and, and approach things to make business work and still give them the flexibility of working anywhere, any device and anywhere in the world. So that's the type of view that we had to take and sort of part that we had to perform. A day in the life of, uh, or a day in your life sounds like a, a very interesting one. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, do, do you have a lot of coffee? <laughs> is that, is coffee something that you, you know, you rely on? Coffee and alcohol helps both. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably uh, not times. in that exact sequence. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, different yeah. times a day. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's an ever, it's an ever changing world. And you've mm. got to keep ahead of things. I mean, since I left school, which is many years back, we we, we all know, um, there's not a single year that I haven't obtained a certification till today, and that's mm. been many many years in the running thus far. Mm. It's it's actually crazy uh, to keep up with things and to ensure that you keep abreast what's happening. Security is mm. changing so often that this is a field that you have to keep ahead of, uh, so and the technical that- knowledge. Very important. That's that's you know that's a, the probably the most perfect segue to what I was going to kind of ask as a as a closing question here was, what advice do you have? I guess for you know young Sachins that are listening to this, right? We have f- folks in the audience that are um, that are listening to this and are, are you know maybe just starting out their IT journey, but they have this sort of CISO goal, right? They're north star. They're working towards becoming a CISO. What what advice would you give someone like that as to you know? what they things that they should be thinking about and, and doing to kind of not only to get there but to ready themselves for when they get there it's a very difficult question Chris. it's it's not an easy part uh and it's it's not easy to get to to being a CISO. um i was it's likely not going to be the same for it's not going to be the same for every, any two people right exactly. it's it's yeah. a very but so ask a different way is there anything that you know now that would have been very helpful for you if you had known it 10 years ago before you kind of you know, landed where you are. So at an early stage, I mean, when I got into the technical space, um, I kind of figured out that security is the part I wanted to go. And then I mapped out, you know, because if you look at the security part, there's so many different parts you can take. And I found that I dealt with people quite nicely and I, I wanted to be the lead in the space and be in charge of the the security for an organization. So the part I took was, I mean, um, the one day I, I spoke to my group CIO and I asked him, why is he studying his CCNA? And he looks at me and he says, because if a network person comes and speaks to me tomorrow and tells me that this is an issue or this is what we're going to be doing, I need to understand what they're talking about and I need to agree with them or disagree with them and challenge mm. them. Not that he's going to physically. I might know your group CIO because I've heard that exact thing before. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. 
he's now moved to OpenText. Uh, he's, he's there in, in the UK. But very knowledgeable individual. Um, and he's done, he taught me quite a bit. From there, did a few management courses to ensure that that layer, the governance side is covered. Because from a CISO perspective, to be able to speak to the board in a non-technical way is very important. To be able to deal with the regulator on a regular basis is very important. Compliance, audits, and risk is very important as part of this role as well. To ensure that covering all of those aspects, you may not think it's as important as putting an antivirus on an endpoint, but it is very important to an organization and with your process and procedures that need to be followed to ensure that you meet the compliance. Having antivirus on one machine and not on 95% of the machines is very different and is very important. Are you having full coverage or not? Or are you having adequate coverage? So that's where those, those different layers come in. And then the last portion to this is that technical knowledge is very, very important. Having the view and understanding and keeping abreast of what's happening is very important. The first question I ask an individual in there, in there when I interview them is, do you know the seven layers of the OSI model and what each one does and where security fits in? And does security, which layer of the seven does it fit in? And the minute I get an answer that it's layer four, five, or six, whatever it is, I want to scream because it's in every one of them. You've got to understand that simple point and understand how much of security you've got to put in place. That's important. And that's, I mean, if I can give anybody advice, learn from the bottom up, work with business, understand where the business is going, what they're trying to do, and never be that hamper in what business is trying to do. Work your way in trying giving them what they require in a secure manner. Whether it's a layered defense, and make things a little bit harder for people to get in. Because what, I've, what you find is, if you analyze the, the world and the people that are trying to the malicious actors out there, you know that more than 90% of them are script kiddies. They go, you can go into the internet now, you can go and Google it, find out how to do something, and then you can do it yourself. It's that five to 10% of those state actors or the guys that are actually targeting your organization that you've got to worry about. And if you can make it, the harder you make it for someone to get into an organization, which they will eventually do, the more they will turn away and move, move on to other things. So make your lay defense one that can stop people or deter them from continuing to try and attack you. And you will be much more successful in your security posture. Hmm. I love that as a summary. And on that note, we want to thank you for being with us and sharing your life and the experiences that you've had as well as the journey that has gotten you to this point. And uh, we appreciate the fact that you've shared so richly out of uh, those experiences as well as how someone can follow and become the next Sachin Suraj Bali. So Sachin, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Nicholas. Hey everyone, before you go, just wanted to say thank you for listening we really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet we'd love to hear what you have to say at the cloud arc <laughs>